This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. It's May the 4th tomorrow, it's Star Wars Day and to commemorate it, we're going to reflect on how the gaming world has expanded the Star Wars lore and universe. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and Ofnil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. We're going to start our news this week with a story involving FIFA and their loot boxes in FIFA Ultimate Team. As we all know, loot boxes have always been controversial with people associating them with gambling. And in fact, Belgium has banned loot boxes from games because of this. Recently, a report from CBC, that's Canada's Broadcasting Corporation, revealed via internal documents from EA that was reportedly leaked by its employee. The EA has always worked towards leading players to their FIFA Ultimate Team mode and to spend money on their loot boxes. A couple of PowerPoint slides showed EA using terms like all roads lead to FIFA Ultimate Team and statements like players will be actively messaged plus incentivized to convert throughout the summer. As a result, EA has come out with a lengthy statement denying this, insisting that they did not push gamers to spend over earning in the game and that the majority of FIFA players never spend money on in-game items. Of course, this led to EA being condemned again despite their statement denying all of these. But also, loot boxes have always been controversial in games and EA has always been one of the companies that seems to always be associated with that. Uh, they've once dubbed as surprise mechanics for gamers. Um, FIFA Ultimate Team is notorious for this and Star Wars Battlefront 2, published under EA as well, also faced backlash after introducing loot boxes that affected gameplay. This is an ongoing conversation that we can perhaps explore deeper in the future. But uh, we're going to move on to Microsoft. They have now become the next company after Epic Games Store to offer more revenue share for PC developers via the sales of PC games on the Microsoft Store. And that has uh, effectively put pressure on market leader in the PC circle, Steam. Yeah, Steam is owned by Valve and uh, they've always used a 70-30 split model between its platform and shares for developers with Steam taking 30% of the revenue cut and developers taking the remaining 70%. In fact, this model was widely used by the industry until Epic Games Store joined the market and offered a higher revenue cut of 88% for developers. That, along with other benefits, has led some developers to favour Epic Games Store as a platform to sell their games. Epic has sometimes managed to even secure exclusive releases on their platform. Now, uh, Microsoft has joined that move and will be increasing developers' share of the revenue to 88% from 70%, starting on the 1st of August on their Microsoft Store. Yes, and according to their statement released on the Xbox Wire page, A clear, no-strings-attached revenue share means developers can bring more games to more players and find greater commercial success from doing this. Uh, Revenue share has become a hot and controversial topic in the world of PC gaming ever since Epic Games Store joined an industry that uh, prior to that has been dominated by Steam. There are a lot of points to unpack in this topic as well. And if you would like us to explore it further, do let us know. Um, Email us at ggwp at bfm.my. Okay, from Microsoft, we move on to Sony and how they've managed to sell 7.8 million PlayStation 5s 
despite the console being in short supply globally. Hmm, I'm not surprised at all. And I wonder how many of those are in the hands of scalpers instead of gamers. Uh, while the shortage is expected to continue, Sony has recorded strong profits, totaling up to 3.14 billion US dollars from the sales. Based on their end-of-year financial report, 3.3 million of those PS5 units were sold from January to March 2021, meaning that 4.5 million of those units were sold last year since its launch. The figures defied Sony's own expectations as they initially forecasted selling just 7.6 million units by March 2021, taking into factor the global pandemic and silicon shortages. And yet, here we are, with the company set to outsell the PS4 if they keep up this momentum. Right, so just as a comparison, PS4 sold a total of 7.6 million units in the same time frame back when it was launched in 2014. And um, obviously, without the current manufacturing problem that the company is currently facing, um, and also to top it off, the pandemic as well, uh, the PS5 is actually fastest selling console of all time in the US since they launched. An interesting thought to put all of this into perspective, considering we have the pandemic going on and how the console is in short supply. But I guess the pandemic really helped boost the sales mm-hmm. because everybody's home to play uh, the games, right? Yeah. Right, continuing with Sony, they had a short state of play event at the last week. Yeah, not many new things were announced actually, but it was a short event of only around 30 minutes. The bulk of the event was focused on a 16-minute footage showcasing new weapons, gears and more from the latest Ratchet & Clank game, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. They also showcased Rivet, the mysterious character that previously made an appearance in the previous trailer. You can check out the rest of the trailer online. Now, apart from that game, Sony also announced a new trailer for Subnautica Below Zero for the PS5, featuring 4K support and the DualSense haptic feedback functionality. And finally, Quarantine Hit Among Us will be finally coming to PS4 and PS5 later this year. No specific release date was announced just yet, but crossplay and online multiplayer are both confirmed. Um, and that's all we have for the news this week. Back to you, Hanif. It's Star Wars Day tomorrow, and to celebrate it here on GG Well Played, we're going to look at some of the classic and retro games from the franchise and look at how they have expanded the lore and made the universe more interactive and immersive for fans. Joining me to reminisce and reflect on how the Star Wars universe has been reflected in the world of video games is Star Wars fan and the follower of Darth Riven, Azif Azuddin. So I've played Star Wars since I was a kid, to be honest, uh, ever since it came out in arcades and the old Sega games. I don't remember those ones so much, but I remember the first Star Wars game I did play, however, was on PlayStation 1, which is the Jedi Power Battles. That was around the same time that The Phantom Menace Episode 1 came out. So there was a tie-in game for PlayStation 1 where Jedi Power Battles allows you to play as not only Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, but as the different characters who are on the Jedi Council who are not canon to the story, at least for that specific chapter, but they were already part of the law anyway. And from then on, I kind of graduated to different Star Wars games, whether it was on PC, whether it was on different PlayStation consoles. So I started playing games like the Jedi Academy series, uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcast series. I played uh, the Knights of the Old Republic RPG games, uh, 1 and 2, uh, but I've also dabbled a little bit in the first-person shooter games. So I think most people would remember the Battlefront 2 2005 version very fondly. I think that was very well-received. And of course, 
I've also played the Force Unleashed uh, series as well. And maybe on Game Boy Advance, I played several different versions of uh, Star Wars games, such as the Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I've also played the Force of the Apprentice, which was kind of like a, an arcade version of Episode 4, 5, 6. Uh, so I've played a number of Star Wars games, I think, over the years, right? Over this past two decades, so to speak. And I think for me personally, I play Star Wars games generally to kind of feel like how it is like to be a Jedi, right? How does it feel like to wield the Force, to use the lightsaber? Although the Battlefront games, I think, runs a little bit differently from that because the Battlefront games allows you to play it more as a clone trooper, a soldier on the ground, right? As a stormtrooper, for example. But mostly, it's about feeling how best does this game capture the experience of being a Jedi? Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting perspective considering that I think Star Wars is such a vast universe and I think if you think about it, um, the way they, especially in the gaming world where um, the possibilities to explore the law, not only just the law, but also the the different ways you can approach the the Star Wars law, right? Uh, via different uh, genres of video games, right? Uh, I, I know what you mean. I think a lot of us would like to play or experience what is it like to be a Jedi, right? But at the same time, uh, there are other aspects of the the law and the, the story of uh, and the world of Star Wars that can be explored via different genres as well. And I think my first experience of being exposed to a Star Wars game was, funnily enough, um, episode one racer. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, I remember playing it on my old PC uh, and it was like, it was barely running, but it was fine. And I remember, yeah, you know, being quite impressed by it because I think that was my, uh, as much as I was already exposed to your, to the original trilogy, this was my first time experiencing a new Star Wars movie when it was first launched, right? So I was pretty excited and because there was that, that, that racing element, of course, I, was, I think I was a bit too young to be able to understand the movie that well, but I remember the movie being a bit boring except for the moments when I guess the lightsaber battles happen and of, of course, course the the racing part as well. So I, I remember uh, yeah experiencing that and feeling kind of like fun, you know, being able to race in in in, in Anakin Sport Racer uh, across you know different planets and compete with you know all these other races uh, across the galaxy, right? Right. So you got inducted into Star Wars via Episode One, so to speak. The games at least. Yes, I think at least that was my first experience before I got my PlayStation One and I started playing all the other games. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, interesting, because I remember there used to be Sega games that I used to play uh, with my cousins, right, in the early 90s. This was right after, I think, Episode 6 uh, was re-released uh, around that time. So I remember playing a, an arcade game that where I was either Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker, but it was very clunky. I don't remember it so much, but, uh, but it's interesting to see that I think most people our generation would have been inducted into Star Wars games after Episode 1. And I think that speaks to kind of like the technological advance in game consoles for example even gameplay for example again yeah yeah especially and i think i think it's a good time to reflect on this in conjunction with i mean the fourth right to to sort of like reflect where the star wars i guess law and world has taken off at least from the gaming side of things and yeah you're right i think i feel like it's interesting that maybe for yeah for our generation <laughs> we started i guess uh being exposed to to star wars video games via all these games right? and i remember playing a bit of star wars galactic battlegrounds as well which is a real-time strategy i'm not a big rts fan but i remember my friend at that time one uh, he wanted to sell the whole genre to me and because i wasn't really into Common and Conquer at that time. <laughs> and even to, to a certain extent, StarCraft. StarCraft was still a bit kind of yeah, weird yeah. for me. Uh, he sort of like, oh, you're a Star Wars fan, right? You know, why don't you check out Galactic Battlegrounds? I guess you might like it. And I played a bit of it. It didn't convince me to 
I guess be in love with 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 uh, the RTS genre, but it was kind of fun being able to control all these little enemies in the RTS format, like in the real time strategy format. So that was that, and of course I move on to playing all the other games that you mentioned. I think uh, okay to be fair, I didn't play you know all the more blockbuster ish games that you mentioned, such as Kotor and things like that. But we get into, we'll get into that later. Yeah. But I yeah I did play the movie time game uh, for the first movie. Welcome. TC14. Phantom Menace. That is interesting. I tried playing it on PC. It was not a good experience. Yeah, it was a bit clunky, but because it tried its best to stay true to the movie, I was a bit more, I guess, invested in it. Although I remember being stuck at this one place and not being able to move on from it. So I, I got a bit frustrated with that. Uh, I remember playing Jedi Power Battles as well, which, like you said, it was just a straight up, I guess, arcade action adventure game that introduced me to other characters that are not, quote unquote, considered I won't say canon, but but I mean I mean they're part of the law, but it's just that they weren't made prominent, yeah, prominent in the movies, right? Yeah. yeah. So so I remember playing Plo Koon and I remember being so impressed with the fact that he's using uh, a yellow uh, lightsaber, yellow lightsaber, right? At that time, I was like, oh, so cool. And he had that he had that spinning technique that I think I really loved using in crowd controls. Yeah, exactly. And and Jedi Power Battles was pretty okay, but um, it was also quite challenging. I feel. <laughs> I think it was uh because you could either play single player which makes your life difficult, or you could play it with two people, right? Because it's meant as a console game. Uh, so I remember playing it with my cousin quite a bit. Um, but, you know, if one character dies, then you it's very difficult for you to move forward. And I remember the first part of the game, you're stuck in the Trade Federation uh, space station and you had to get your way through it and end up in Naboo, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it, it was quite short, I think, actually, as a game. But it was not as easy, I think, yeah. I mean, if you're playing it, when you're like, what, 12 years old, uh, 9, 10 years old, then yeah, I mean, it could be challenging. But if you play it now, then we probably have a little bit more finesse, I guess. Yeah, but going back to the original premise of what you, you said about, I guess, Star Wars video games, right? I think um, maybe to a certain extent, as much as the Star Wars lore and the Star Wars world is so big and can be explored in many different facets via many different game genres, uh, you're right. I think a lot of us want to mostly play as a Jedi, right? And I think uh, there is that sense of wanting to, yeah, to, to wield a lightsaber and to also, I guess, fight enemies with lightsabers. And I think that's why I think towards the later part of, I think, Xbox 60s um, life cycle when they released that Star Wars Kinect video game it was such an appeal to a lot of people who like to check out you know Star Wars in a, in a more like quote unquote VR-ish format before VR became VR these days right so so the, I guess there is that, that appeal but it's not just about nailing a more life like a more realistic aspect of combat via VR but it's also like about nailing the quote unquote the funness of, of, of wielding a lightsaber via oh, yeah. video games right yeah, yeah. That, that is key and I think after yeah, playing all those little games. I think I sort of like stopped playing Star Wars video games for a bit. I remember playing maybe Star Wars Bounty Hunter, which for creatures, yeah. yeah, Jango Fat, if I'm not mistaken, as, as yeah, the main character. Yeah, that was episode two, two then. Yeah, that that was that was fun as well. Uh, but but I didn't play it thoroughly, and obviously you didn't play as Jedi. But okay, apart from apart from wielding lightsabers, there are also uh, the aspect of. I guess flying uh, all the jets. Oh, that that was captured, I think, in Battlefront the best. Uh, I think Battlefront 2 introduced... I'm not sure about Battlefront 1 because I never played Battlefront 1, but I remember Battlefront 2, what made it feel really great was that you could transition from being a soldier on the ground to if it was a, if it, if it was a space fight, 
you could transition from being a soldier on the ground and infiltrating other people's uh, space stations and spaceships to also actually riding into a TIE fighter, for example, or even an X-Wing, and then actually dogfighting with the enemy, right? And I found that to be an interesting aspect of Battlefront 2, which introduced us to this idea that the gameplay was so dynamic that it allowed you to transition between two different modes of fighting, right? Vehicle fights and also still staying true to the first-person shooter. Yeah, and I think uh, to be fair to people out there, uh, I think as if you're referring to the original Battlefront. Original Battlefront 2005, yeah. I've played a little bit of EAs, uh, but I haven't thoroughly immersed myself in it. So I, it's, I can't really comment on how things have changed. So yeah, so you're right. I think I think yeah, there are also that aspect of of Star Wars games that I think people somehow look forward to. I remember when I was young, I was a bit more invested in the idea of uh, flying the X-wing and flying the Tie Fighter. But I guess as I grew older, I wasn't as invested in the idea. After trying out Battlefront 2's mechanics of of flying the spaceships, it feels a bit different and I'm no longer as invested in in, in flying all the spacecrafts uh, in the Star Wars universe, which is why I guess I haven't played uh, Star Wars Squadron yet, as much as I heard that the game was quite good as well, uh, story-wise. But we'll get into that later. Uh, But going back, uh, Azif, yeah, so so you said that the mechanics of playing as a Jedi was captured best uh, in the series Jedi Knight, right? Yeah. So the way I see it, right, Jedi Knight, uh, we have to take it into context, right? So before Jedi Knight, the Jedi Knight series, there wasn't much games out there, I think, that allowed you to have the great experience of being a Jedi, right? Because if you look at all the previous games after that, when you wielded a lightsaber, it feels like you're pretty much wielding a sword in other games. But that's not how a lightsaber works. A lightsaber works in the sense that, I mean, we're talking about law, right? A lightsaber works where if you kind of like move it towards, say, someone's limb, you cut off the limbs, for example, right? Uh, and also the previous Star Wars gameplays didn't have that sort of realism or feeling that the gameplay was dynamic, that you could move easily, you could use force powers while you jump. And I think what was so great about the Jedi Knight series, uh, especially Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy, was that you had different force powers that you could learn. Uh, But at the same time, it was also a first-person shooter game, so you're able to also use other weapons that were there in the in the in the Star Wars world, right? You could use blasters, for example. You could use Wookiee bow casters. You can use uh, thermal detonators while also being able to use a lightsaber. Uh, so I think being able to kind of fully experience the range of weapons, but at the same time being introduced to a gameplay that allow you to wield the lightsaber in very dynamic ways, in very flexible ways, in ways which feels like you can move easily, you can jump around, you can use force powers all concurrently, I think really made uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy a really well-loved game. And I think even to today, and this is a testament to how popular the game is, yeah, is that there are mod communities. There are mod communities that continue to uh, modify the game into other forms, right, to enhance gameplay. There are mods that allow you to play the entirety of episode one to episode six, but using the mechanics of the Jedi Academy gameplay. Uh, and that just shows how much people love it, how much they actually enjoy the lightsaber and force mechanics introduced in the game that they want to replicate in other forms, right? For example, right, we have Force Unleashed, which came out, I think, in 2000 and, what, 2008? There are mods made from Force Unleashed in Jedi Academy because people want to experience the gameplay, the style, the, the, the feeling of being able to wield force powers and lightsaber in a way that makes it so immersive and I think that to me makes it quite special I mean sometimes this this is my personal take on things yeah 
if I want to experience uh, how to wield a lightsaber in the Force, I play Jedi Knight series. However, if I want to, if I want to experience an immersive story, I play the Knights of the Republic. That was our guest of the week, Azif Azuddin, sharing his thoughts on the gameplay mechanics of the Jedi Knight series. In case you're wondering, we're looking at some classic Star Wars video games in conjunction with Star Wars Day happening tomorrow. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. It's Star Wars Day tomorrow and to celebrate it, we're going to be looking back at some of the classic Star Wars games from the yesteryears. Of course, the more recent Star Wars games published by EA are decent as well. Despite some big controversies, the Battlefront series, especially the sequel, has become a multiplayer experience that's now more wholesome. Jedi Fallen Order was a very good attempt at bringing back that narrative-driven single-player experience for fans together with a very tight gameplay, while Squadron received rave reviews for both its story and its gameplay. But going back to the classics, we're going to continue today's conversation conversation by looking at Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, a highly revered game not only among Star Wars fans but also among gamers who are not necessarily fans of the franchise. Unfortunately, I've never had the chance to play the game but my guest of the week, Azif Azuddin, has played both the games and here he is explaining why they're such a good and unique experience. So I think what the Knights of the Republic series was trying to do is to kind of carve out an extension of the lore. Because I think if as so, I follow legends. I followed the what you call legends now, uh, the comic series, right? I followed the legends novels and and comics back then. And around that time, they, we were talking about uh, Jedi and Sith, like Exar Kun, Darth Bane. These are characters that exist a millennia, two millennia before Episode One to Episode Six. So we can consider Episode One, Episode Six as kind of like a reference of timelines. The Knights of the Republic kind of falls back millions of years before that series, right? So I think what Knights of the Republic was trying to achieve was to set, uh, to give a setting that was free of the uh, of the main timeline, which is one to six, and able to carve out a story that was engaging, but was able to extend, expand the law much, uh, much wider, you know? And that's by virtue of the timeline, right? So what's interesting about Knights of the Republic is that it looks at how the war between the Sith and the Jedi looked like millennials ago right so you're able to see this from the lens of the war that happened at uh, the mandalorian wars so what's interesting i think about the night of the republic series is that it's less focused on gameplay mechanics but more focused on storytelling and the law which is beloved even to today so you have so coming up from the night of the republic you have characters like darth revan uh which people continue to this day love and so much so that Disney has decided to induct Darth Revan as part of the canon, as we call it, as we know it now, right? And that speaks a lot to how how much storytelling and how much care was put into expanding the universe, but without breaking uh, what is understood to be one to six. So Nuts Republic, gameplay-wise, not the best. It's turn-based. So how do I describe it? Yeah? When a battle scene starts, the game pauses and you have to select a list of force powers or maybe melee attacks or even weapon attacks set it out and then you unpause the game and then they will it will it will use all those moves right which to me is like okay it's a, when i first played it i was like okay this is a bit weird i'm not used to this i'm used to just hack and slashing uh you get used to it after a while but i think what 
why people immerse themselves in the in the Kotor series is really because of the story, because it really expands and enriches what it means to understand the Force, what it expands and enriches on what it means to be a Jedi. It was interestingly what people don't know mostly is that the Knights of the Republic actually canonized the code of the Sith or the Jedi code. So the Sith code, for example, is peace is a lie that is only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. And the Jedi equivalent is there is no emotion, there is peace. There is no ignorance, there is knowledge. There is no passion, there is serenity. There is no chaos, there is harmony. There is no death, there is the force. Now, not many people know, but the Jedi Code was actually introduced in Knights of the Republic, but now it's considered canon. And that's what I mean when I say that Koto series introduced and expanded upon the law and making the world much richer, uh, the whole universe much richer, even to its legends, right? Yeah. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier that Darth Revan has been recognized by Disney as part of the canon, the new canon. But uh, what about the whole uh, Knights of the Old Republic um, storyline? Unfortunately, so that's a bit of a gray area. I think after Disney took over, they decided to lump many things under legends. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Knights of the Republic was uh, unfortunately part of now con- what we con- call legends. However, what's interesting about what Disney is doing now is that what I notice is that they are paying close attention to episodes one to six and expanding the law very closely around that timeline as opposed to going maybe a millennia after, a millennia before. Um, but they are cherry-picking certain things. So from Knights of the Republic, they're cherry-picking things like Darth Revan, for example, right? Because he was so popular, they can introduce him into the canon, so to speak. But I think uh, what Disney is doing right now, at least when it comes to gaming, is that really cherry-picking certain elements from Legends or they are adapting certain elements that were popular in Legends and bring it into the mainstream. Yeah, and I think uh, when it comes to Kotor, yeah, it's probably yeah, still a fan favorite. And if you have been following the news lately, um, there are rumors out there that they are perhaps you know remaking the series. So I'm looking forward to actually playing the game if they were to actually remake the series. Yeah, it's very difficult for me to talk about Kotor without going into spoilers because th- the game is so rich and the storytelling is is quite incredible, I would say. So if you're going to jump into Koto, the new, say if they remaster Koto or say they readapt it, right? I would recommend you actually go back and actually play Koto 1 and Koto 2 first to understand why the games became as popular as it did. And I think a lot of that has down has a lot to do with how it deconstructs how you understand the Jedi. It deconstructs how you understand the Sith. And more importantly, it deconstructs how you understand the Force. So if you go on YouTube, and you look for Kotor 2, you will see a lot of people having philosophical discussions about the game because the game introduces a philosophical element in its storytelling, which I think to this very day, people talk about it still many years. I think it's almost Kotor 2 came out in 2004. It's 2021. People are still talking about it. <laughs> okay, apart from Kotor, uh, which I think, yeah, um, I will try my best to actually play the game. And if the remake comes out, if the rumors are true, then that will be even better. And But hopefully they will pull it off well. Uh, but yeah, um, what about Star Wars The Force Unleashed? Because at one point it was quite famous and I remember it being, uh, because at that time they were trying to make it canon as well. I, I remember being uh, quite intrigued by the game as much as I didn't have the chance to actually play it. Yeah, I think what sold me when I was much younger, what sold me to Force Unleashed was this idea that one, it was set within between episode three and episode four. So those were the years after the Empire took over. 
And two, the premise was simple. You are Darth Vader's secret apprentice. You're going around the galaxy assassinating different Jedis. And essentially, the trailer I remember showed that you had access to a host of incredibly crazy powers. Uh, and I think as somebody then who was who wanted to experience the Jedi experience right to to the max, Jedi Unleashed was a gateway to that. And I think as far as gameplay goes, Jedi Unleashed was quite enjoyable. It was enjoyable because you get to explore different worlds, and that's important to the Star Wars, to any Star Wars experience, because Star Wars is about the universe, right? It's about different planets, different peoples, different storylines, and Jedi Unleashed allowed you to explore different planets, but also be part of the canon then. While also being able to tap on and learn a series of, I would say, overpowered force powers, uh, but it's fun. It's fun, even though it's overpowered. I mean, the game actually at that time said that it was canon for the main character, a star killer, to be able to bring down an entire star destroyer from orbit, which is insane. But the overpoweredness, I think, was what made it so fun to play. Yeah, and I think uh, as much as I think you have your, I guess, favorite when it comes to the mechanics. Um, how was the Force Unleashed mechanics? The mechanics, to me, uh, if I'm to compare it to, I I don't want to say it's arcade like because you can move around and explore a little bit, but at the same time, it also felt like you had to move down a predestined path, in a sense that gameplay wise, you're only allowed to kind of take a single route all the way down to your goal. Compare that to Jedi Academy where you're able to move around very dynamically, you're able to jump, you're able to explore corners. Uh, but the way Unleash was designed gameplay-wise was that you had a set path, but also the way you wielded lightsabers, I think because it was intended to be for consoles, that also meant that your attacks, uh, the way you use lightsabers was also limited to strong attack, fast attack, normal attack sort of, right? I mean, uh, and block if you're talking about the four different uh, four different buttons there. So, I mean, in a way, it felt a little bit limiting to me because I'm so, I was used, I think, to the sort of openness in gameplay and uh, mechanics that was introduced in Jedi Knights, the Jedi Knight series. Uh, have you ever felt that, that, that fatigue when it comes to playing yeah, Star Wars or uh, I guess immersing yourself in the Star Wars lore beyond the movies? I think so. I mean, if people are already feeling fatigued towards the, I mean, people were very fatigued towards episode 789. I think the games, the way EA and Disney approaches the games aspect of Star Wars also kind of reflects that. Now, as much as I wanted to play Fallen Order, I also felt that, and I know this is very weird because early on I said about how playing Star Wars games particularly should ex- should capture the Jedi experience, right? But at the same time, I also feel like uh, because... EA and Disney wanted a money-making combination, right? They want a combination that's safe. They wanted a combination that also is able to draw in the most people to be interested in as possible. They've been limiting themselves, I feel, also to games that are kind of focused around the one to six law, as I mentioned, right? Because Fallen Order is essentially in between episode three and four, which is really enough the area that most people are very interested in. If you think about other media, right? Things like Clone Wars, for example, very popular. Uh, and also the recent Star Wars Rebels, which is also set between three to four. But I think this playing safe thing is also something that, you know, this thing kind of needs to get out of when it comes to gaming, right? I mean, the reason why I think uh, Star Wars, the Knights of the Republic did so well was because, like I said earlier, it removed itself from the context of one to six and played itself many millennia before in order to be able to remove themselves from the chains of storytelling that came with 1 to 6, right? Because if you're playing to 1 to 6, then you're tied up to 
discussing Clone Wars, you have to maybe discuss the Skywalker family, right? Which which is essentially the story of Star Wars. Uh, or for example, you're talking about the Jedi Knight series, which is based after episode six. I think because there was uncharted territory then, the law was able to be expanded in ways that were creative uh, and also engaging. But yeah, I, it, it it needs to go beyond, I think, uh, Jedi Knights. It needs to go beyond Jedis in general. Because if you think about it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, I'm, I think you may have heard of this, but there was a Star Wars game in 2013 called uh, 1313 that was supposed to come out. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, but there were rumors of it yeah, being released, but eventually it was scrapped, right? Yeah, they, they, they showed like a pilot gameplay. They showed like a, a conceptual gameplay of it, which looks interesting because you were going to be a character, I think a bounty hunter, I'm not sure, exploring the underbelly of Coruscant or even the universe, right? And I think people were so interested in it because for once, it was a game that wasn't centered on the Jedi. It was a story that was about other players, right? Other forces within the story and the universe of Star Wars. And I think what's interesting about Star Wars Nice Order Republic 2 was that, and I know I keep going back to KOTO, right? but what's interesting I found about KOTO 2 was that even though you are partly exploring the story of the Jedi, you're also seeing the consequences the Jedi, the Mandalorian Wars, had on other planets, right? So in KOTO 2, you are in a planet of Nar Shadda, but you interact with the people who were affected by the war and how... Uh, their lives were more terrible, right? How now the, the city, for example, was in ruin. Then to win, uh, there was a civil war breaking out among normal people, among the citizens there. And I think what makes the Star Wars law great, what makes good Star Wars games is maybe moving forward, being able to tell a story that is also a little bit detached outside just Jedi versus Sith, but also allowing you to kind of explore areas around it. I think that's why people kind of liked The Mandalorian, because you're looking at a character that was completely outside the Jedi versus Sith story. Granted, uh, season two, they kind of went a little bit there, they teased it, and they gave a little bit of a fan service to people. Uh, but ultimately, people loved Mandalorian too. It was, but it wasn't a Jedi versus Sith story anymore. Yeah, I think you've pretty much said what you wanted to say about, yeah, maybe Disney should take more risks moving forward. But yeah, I mean, if you were to reflect on the experience, um, of these video games that we've played, um, do you think that it gives Star Wars fans um, that that avenue to be immersed in the world beyond just the films and to a certain extent even the comics and also the novels back then? Oh yeah, I think so. I think as technology, as gaming technology gets better, as console technology gets better, right? I mean, Fallen Order I think is well liked because the game mechanics allows you to be able to do more things than you would have, say, on a PS1, right? Compare Fallen Order to Jedi Power Battles, right? I mean, the gameplay is vastly different because of the technology. Uh, or even the most recent game, I think there's a game called Vader Immortal, which is a VR uh, game. It seems immersive. I've, I've seen the gameplay before. It looks quite immersive, even though it's a little bit clunky. But I think moving forward, as consoles get better, as game tech gets better, we may be able to explore the Star Wars lore, the Star Wars universe in much more richer ways. Lah. I mean, that's a given. So I think every iteration of Star Wars game that came out ever since has always improved, I think, how the game feels, how the universe is experienced. And I think that's what we can look forward to moving forward. Lah. And it should be at the core of it. The experience of being immersive should be at the core because Star Wars is really about exploring the universe around you. Regardless if you're a Jedi or if you're a bounty hunter, huh? or if you're 
a normal person making your way through the galaxy. You've been tuning in to GG Well Played and we've been talking about how the Star Wars franchise has been represented in the world of video games in conjunction with Star Wars Day tomorrow. Thank you to my guest Asif Azuddin for sharing his thoughts and experiences with these classic games. If you'd like to check out some of the games that we talk about in this episode, do check out the sale that's currently happening on Steam to commemorate Star Wars Day. The deals there are quite good so do check it out. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play, and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and may the fourth be with you. Till next time, GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.